Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I am. I'm really excited to welcome Amy Schachter to leave your mark today. First of all, Amy, I don't think you know this, but I have been admiring your career way, 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 way before we ever connected. And for those of you listening, Amy has some major achievements on her resume. And honestly, not everyone has the honor of claiming them. Amy, you have transformed industry disruptive concepts into scalable businesses and lifestyle brands. You've accelerated innovation and growth and the path to profitability. You've had four stints as CEO. You transformed Glam Squad. You were at the helm of Core Power Yoga, Sea Wonder, and today you are now the CEO of Everbody, a tech-powered cosmetic dermatology, cosmetic retailer, totally disrupting beauty. And, oh, small thing, you were named Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Powerful Women of 2020. So, you know, one of the things that I've always admired about you, and you know, it's funny, like I remember your name from back in the day at DKNY. We never crossed <laughs> paths back then, but you've always had such a wonderful reputation. Like anyone who's ever said your name is like, oh my God, I love Amy. <laughs> so for everyone listening, meet your new favorite girl boss because for real, she's amazing. Thank you. It's so fun that we know each other from from our journeys, right? Like, look yes. at you. Look at what you're doing. And we were in the same space at the same time. And I feel a kindred spirit with you as a result of that. And when I hear you talk about what I've done, I sound really old. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Everyone always says that. But to me, I mean, experience is such a luxury, right? It is. It is. And also, you know, I think it's worth noting, you really pivoted. You came from a very traditional, you know, industry. Like you could have been CEO at a regular, traditional kind of retail brand, but you really sort of went hardcore into these tech startups. And I think that, you know, that's something that is not easy to do. Those are not easy environments. And, and we'll dig into a lot of that as we talk this morning. But first of all, give everyone a little intro in your background and where you're from. Yeah. So I grew up outside of Boston, um, a family of all women, my poor dad, and I was a super, supercharged competitive athlete. I started riding when I was four or five years old and competing by the time I was six. And I always say that when you start your life as a competitive athlete, 
It makes you a different kind of executive. First of all, you have to work on a team at a very young age and understand how to support your team to achieve your goals. And riding is an individual sport as well. And so there's a lot of dependency on your own completeness uh, because you are riding an animal that can be unpredictable. So you are responsible for making it happen. And so there's a lot of self-driven motivation that I talk about a lot as an executive that I think started very young as a competitive athlete. You're not the first person who's come on here who has credited being an athlete at a young age to a lot of their success. Mm-hmm. I cannot throw a ball, so I can't relate <laughs> to this. I can't relate to this path, but good on you that you yeah. think that helped you. We were like, can we just watch um, soap operas after school? Is that cool, mom? <laughs> yeah, totally cool. So you went to school in Massachusetts. And then how did you sort of get your foot in the door in New York? Because it ain't easy to get your foot in the door in New York. It ain't easy. Mm -mm. I was contemplating whether or not I was going to tell you this story because most people find it extraordinary, but I did an internship from college in New York at Bloomingdale's and they asked me to come back as one of the entering classes of their training program. And I told my parents I wanted to move back and they said, you're never going to make it there. Nice support. But I mean, they were like so nervous about the idea of living in New York that they called their friends in the area and said, where should she live? What should she do? And they said, the safest place for her is the 92nd Street Y. And I don't even know if you know this, but years and years ago, there was a community of people that allowed you to live above the 92nd Street Y. And it was like all girls, you had a curfew and my parents knew I was safe. And so I moved into the 92nd Street Y. And that was my entry into New York. And let me tell you something, it was not fun. (laughs) But I met my roommate there. They randomly put you as someone. I met a woman who today is, you know, an amazing close friend, one of my besties. And we were both put in the same situation. Her parents, she was from Dallas. Her parents felt the same way about her. And um, six months into our stint, we went and found an apartment. And that was it from there. You know, I flew like a bird and um, New York isn't easy and New York at the 92nd Street Y isn't easy at all. <laughs> you know, it's funny. There is someone else. I mean, it's been like uh, 115 episodes now, so I can't remember who, but I'm going to figure it out. Someone else also lived in the 92nd Street Y and I can't remember who it is, but maybe they were there when you were there. But I guess my big question is... Did you always know that you wanted to go into fashion in particular at that time? I did. It is something that I started to do in junior high school, fashion. And I was from Boston and Jordan Marsh was a department store at that particular time. And they had a contest for a young hopeful in fashion. And I applied, I think at 13 years old, they probably were hysterical, but I was like, I'm going to do this. And uh, it was like Jordy Jordan internship program. And at 13, I was like, I'm going to do this. I don't think they ever got an applicant from a 13 year old before, but that's how early on 
I knew I wanted to be in fashion. And I always said, I want to do something in fashion and marketing. So business and fashion. And my family today always laughs and they always call me the fashion marketing major because from the time I was a teenager, I said, I want to do something in fashion and marketing. And my sisters always tease me. They always say to me, oh, you're the fashion marketing major. What should I wear to this event? <laughs> oh my God. That's so, and you have three sisters, right? I've seen your I do. cute photos. It's so nice to have that. My follow-up to the New York question, though, and especially now where people work from home and people sort of left New York, you know, to maybe go somewhere else during the pandemic, do you think geography is directly connected to success when it comes to certain industries? Like, do you think, had you not come to New York, would you be where you are today? Do you think New York has anything to do with it? I do. I do. I really do. The connections, New York Fashion Week, you know, I would stand in front of New York Fashion Week. And in those days, it was like nobody could go. There were no influencers and social media people. Fashion Week was, you know, behind the black veil. You know, I would stand in front of, at that particular time, I think it was Bryant Park, actually. That's how long ago I attended Fashion Week. Same. (laughs) (laughs) And um, stand in front of the Mercedes-Benz in front of New York Fashion Week and just look at people's outfits and hope that someday I would go. And sure enough, it happened. But I think, I think that it does matter. You know, fashion has certain cities around the world where it is at its highest level. And I think New York City is definitely at the top of that list. The path to CEO. What steps did you take to sort of have that as a North Star? Like, what do people who want to be CEOs need to do along the way in their experience? Okay, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yeah, you can say whatever you want. (laughs) Work your ass off. That's all I can say is, yes, um, it was strategic for me. I definitely wanted to lead. And people often ask me, why did you work so hard to be the CEO? I was a GMM. I was a president of a division, which is, you know, it's great. but Every time I got to the next level, I kept saying to myself, I want to lead the business. I want to be the visionary and I want to be able to set my own culture um, and hire my own team and, and build cross-functional collaboration. Um, I think definitely an attribute that I read about a lot with CEOs, female CEOs, is fearlessness the idea of risk-taking. You know, I am a more mature CEO. Today, you know, there are opportunities for CEOs in startups that didn't exist when I was going through the hierarchy of building my career. There were certain steps that you had to take and experience that you had to have before you would even be considered. As a president or CEO, it was very hierarchical. And so I made strategic decisions and, and I know, you know, you and I have chatted about this. I have moved. Uh, people look at my resume sometimes and say, you have no discipline around staying in an organization. I've been with companies seven years, five years, four years, and a few I've been there for a shorter period of time because it wasn't serving me and I wasn't getting the best experience. And because I'm not risk adverse and because I wasn't afraid of telling my story, I 
took the risk at that particular time and was in a place for two years and left because there was something bigger and better around the corner for me. So I would say to someone today, you know, I, I think about this a lot when people talk about being stuck in a role. Being stuck is a choice. It really is. I think you have to make the choice to be unstuck. And to do it, you have to overcome your own voices in your head that are telling you that you can't do it or it's not the right choice or stay where you are because it's safer and it's easier. Making the choice to leave an organization and a job that you may love that isn't serving you is a hard choice to make. But if you have aspirations to do something different, you have to leave. You have to jump or, you know, hopefully there's opportunity within the organization that you're in. But if there isn't, I truly believe taking the jump to something new is a calculated decision that takes thoughtful strategy and vision. And I believe that it is the best way to gain a broad spectrum of experience. You said something that struck me, and I think it's worth digging into a little more. You said you may be in a job that you love that isn't serving you. So is the job that you love that's not serving you one that you are coasting in? I think people get comfortable. They may still be learning, but if there's not a career path for them, and that's their choice. You know, there are some people that are, they call it like perfect in place, Mm -hmm. People who are perfect in place are satisfied, they're motivated, and their aspirations are not much beyond where they are. And I don't think that's a bad thing. We need people like that. But if you have the aspiration to do more, to see more, and to have a new experience, but your hesitation is fear, I truly believe that that's a choice. And you have to have a conversation with yourself or your friend or your mentor, or give me a call and I'll help you through it and decide where you want to go next, what the calculated decision is, and then go for it. Apply for the job that isn't posted. Make connections to people who can get you there. Network. Ask to do a day in the life of, you know, do whatever you can. I've done the craziest things to meet people, get new experiences, and to see what it's like on the other side of something that I'm doing because of my desire to continue to educate myself in the industry. Okay, well, now you have to tell us what the crazy things are. <laughs> well, um, I did reach out to someone, didn't know them very well, and said, I want to see what it's like to be in your shoes. And would you be open to, again, there were no Zoom meetings then, but me shadowing you over a given hours or days? And believe it or not, that person said, yes, you can shadow me. And I realized after that shadowing experience that that is what I wanted to do. How old were you when you did this? Um, I was already a vice president, so I already had a certain amount of seniority, but not in the field that I wanted to be in and knocked on someone's door and wrote a very articulate, probably letter in those days. I don't even know if it was an email. <laughs> and it was a letter that was carefully crafted and said, 
I would like to learn more. There wasn't an opportunity to get on a Zoom call for an hour or half an hour, which I do today. People reach out to me and I actually do the, I'll say, here's 20 minutes of my day and let me share something with you. There wasn't the opportunity to do that back then. And so I had the opportunity to see something I wouldn't have seen in my current career path. And it was a life changer for me. I don't know if you connected the dots to this, but what I'm hearing is as a vice president to make that ask, you have no ego because yeah. some people might think, oh, I'm, I'm already a vice president. Like I'm not going to show anyone that I need that kind of help or exposure in deciding my next move. So I think that's really admirable. And I wanted to point that out because not everyone would do that. You know, Ego is a really interesting, we could have a whole hour discussion around ego as it relates to work. Um, I am definitely not egocentric. And at this point in my career, actually, even less than I already was, there was somebody a couple of times in my career that said to me, you have to have more ego. It was actually a criticism or constructive feedback um, that you need more ego, take more ownership, you know, take more credit. And it isn't something that I've ever believed. I've said, you know, thank you very much. Time to move on. Probably not the place for me. And I think that vulnerability is a key strength in leadership. And people are afraid to show it, you know, to say, I don't know this, or you did it so much better than I ever could. And what can I learn from you? I had a meeting yesterday with an amazing fashion icon um, in the media world. And I said to her, there's so much I can learn from you. And she said, oh my goodness, there's so much I can learn from you. But she said, thank you for saying that. You know, I think if we're always a student, we're always a great leader. Such great advice. So your mental gut check list of whether it's four years, five years, six years, the conversation you have with yourself of like, okay, here are the questions I'm going to ask myself before I decide to go from, you know, glam squad to everybody. Like, what is that discussion with yourself? Oh, it's a long discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Do people still do like their pros and cons list? Oh, I totally do. Okay. I didn't know if that was still a thing or if like there's an AI that teaches you how to do it, but I still take out the legal pad and I do like pluses and minuses. And of course, conversations with my family, you know, taking a new job is drinking from a fire hose. You know, you know, the first year or two is usually going to be something that is consuming. And I am definitely one that gets consumed. And so, you know, making a choice as a family, like, is this the right time to do it? Mm -hmm. Also, you know, what are the long-term benefits for this decision? I will say my greatest fan club is my husband. He has encouraged me so much to make bold decisions. And he is a, a partner in my career and, and helping to guide decision-making. And sometimes I'll say like, I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, you always say that. Like, of course you can do it. Like, just jump in both feet and you'll figure it out. I love and that. And so having a partner that 
pushes you to make bold decisions, makes it that much easier because you know you have someone by your side to support you in these kinds of decisions. But I would say from a strictly career perspective, I always look at, you know, what am I going to learn? How can I contribute? Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of an impact in the world it's going to make? Because after being in the fashion world for so long, I've made a conscious choice at this point in my career that I want to do things that impact people. Even though everybody is, um, some people may say, oh, you know, it's helping the outside. I believe that helping the outside helps the inside. So if you look in the mirror and you say, I look pretty good today, you feel differently. You have a, a strength in your step and a, your shoulders back. And I still feel like a good blowout helps you um, walk into the conference room to pitch for money, to go for that job interview, to go on that date, to see your professor, whatever it is. I believe that it gives you that extra skip in your step and I'm all for it. So if the job meets that criteria and it aligns with where I want to go, it's a much easier decision for me to make. Well, you're preaching to the choir over here because I don't go anywhere without like a full (laughs) face of makeup and my hair done. So there you go. And your red lip, you know, your signature red lip. Let's face it. It does make me feel ready for my day. I mean, that might sound crazy, but and when I don't wear it, people are like, oh, my God, you look so good with a nude lip. I'm like, you're lying. No, I do not. (laughs) Like, you're just like, it's different. So you're complimenting it. But actually, that's a lie. Did you also make a conscious decision to say, okay, leaving fashion, going to beauty? I did. It was it was time. I learned an incredible amount and made the decision that it was time to discover more about me as a leader and about me as a brand and brands that had the opportunity to go beyond the embodiment of a person. And when I did that, it was a very conscious decision. I was so fortunate to go to a brand that was centered in wellness and to go from the fashion industry to the yoga industry was almost a gift. It it really was for me where everything was about breathing and consciousness and kindness and goodness. And after doing that, I said, I will never do anything that doesn't serve me in that way. Wait, you mean you didn't hear Donna Karen talk about yoga consciousness and wellness when you were there? Of course you did. She did. She's an original yogi. There was a very strong consciousness. And I mean, let's face it, I still, when I pull swipe for empowerment, I still go back to the female president campaign that launched while I was there. 1992. That's right. I know. I mean, pretty amazing. Um, that she had a female president back then. And let's face it, working for someone like her at that particular time was another gift, right? To be able to see that kind of empowerment take place and her desire to push women into senior level roles was amazing. Um, but it is different when you work for a brand where the consciousness is around the focus that has to happen around the consumer and less about the name above the door. And it's just another great opportunity, right? It was fantastic. I worked for some amazing brands that were tied to incredible 
inspiring visionaries. And I learned so much from all of them and then made the decision to go to a different kind of brand building, which has enormous possibilities as well. And I I really love it. Let's talk about cosmetic dermatology, because I will say, as someone who is a beauty junkie, I have always been someone who's super transparent about everything I do. What is it about cosmetic dermatology that it's always like a whisper in some way? I feel like if you're doing something that makes you feel good, that enhances how you think about yourself, like why are we not talking about it? And I think it's important to discuss because also what I love about Everbody is it kind of destigmatizes all of the things, right? It's like the prices are on the website, like everything is super clear. There's not this intimidating approach to the way that you've, you know, structured the site. And I think that obviously has a lot to do with like the way it's empowered, but I'd love to hear from you on your thoughts. So I think that it's time for us to take helping ourselves and looking good out of the closet. I mean, it's time, let's face it. We deserve it. Um, Not only that, I think cosmetic derm is something that anybody should be able to do men, women, LGBTQ community. Not children. <laughs> yes. Not not children. Not children. No, because you were like men, women. I'm like, not children. <laughs> no. LG- I mean, but there are aspects of cosmetic derm that haven't even been accessible to certain genders. And we are definitely taking it out of the closet and into the conversation to ensure that it is available for everyone. Um, everybody is everybody and everybody deserves the opportunity to look good and feel good. And I think, you know, is part of the stigma related to aging, like we're not supposed to age. And especially as women, there's so much pressure to not look old and to remain youthful and fit. And, you know, I, agree that being healthy is important, but I think a few lines are okay. I'm not a believer in looking plastic and that's not what we're all about. We're about natural looking results so that you look refreshed and you look a little bit less tired. And again, if it's not for you, no problem. There's no pressure. But if it is for you and you're embarrassed about saying that you do it, um, Let's take it out of the closet and let's make it acceptable. And it's funny because even five years ago, I would go out to dinner with friends, with girlfriends, and we would sit around the table and sort of put our hand over our mouth and say, you know, are you doing it? Who, who's doing it for you? And what are you doing? I'm only doing here and I'm afraid to do here and I'm afraid to do here. And everybody was like whispering. All of a sudden the conversation would would be from like boisterous estrogen to like whispers. And now I go to dinner and people are like, yeah, I'm I'm doing it. Oh, have you done your chin? Oh my goodness. Your chin looks amazing. I might do my chin. And all of a sudden you can actually talk about it in a normal voice tone. And I think it's great. And it will get better and better if we continue to destigmatize looking good. Yeah. And it's not just for your face either. Like Amy told me about this fat cell burning thing. I cannot wait to try it. What is it called? True Sculpt. 
true sculpt. Yes. Yes. Sculpt all the things. Yes. Look, it's non-invasive liposuction, right? It reduces 24% of the body fat in the area that it works on permanently. There's a not, it doesn't come back. It's um, a permanent reduction. You pee it out, if I can say that. You know, yeah, that's how you, you eliminate it. the fat. It happens over a six-week period. And we are doing a lot of true scalp. Not a lot of people know about it. It's a little bit, you know, a hidden gem of a, of a secret. But why not do non-invasive procedures as opposed to thinking like your only option is, is liposuction. If you have that, you know, little bit of fat that hasn't gone away since having a baby or. Well, I was going to say, that's exactly it. Yeah, it's like yes. the C-section has completely ruined my stomach for the rest yes. of my life. Well, apparently not the rest of my life because now it's going to be great, but <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter. It's not about a diet. It's just, it is whatever that C-section. I think they really messed it up, but it's another story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I had a C-section as well, and there's two little pockets above. Well, they're gone, but um, and you know how. Yes. But um, those two little pockets were there. It didn't matter how much weight I lost. I still had those two little pockets, and they're gone. Yeah. Well, you know what? I can't wait to tell the world when mine are gone. <laughs> I have a couple more than two pockets, but like, anyway. So... 2020, you were named one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Powerful Women. What did that feel like? You know, and this is, I'm going to be super honest, with the imposter syndrome and full-blown for most people, I was like, wow, really? I'm on the same list with these people? That's pretty crazy. I wonder why. And <laughs> I wonder why. I, <laughs> I had to have a, like a true conversation with some some girlfriends and some mentors. And they were like, you're a badass boss. So you should start owning it. And there are moments where I do own it, but there are lots of moments like that where I say, wow, you know, a hundred women across the United States, that's, that's pretty cool. And when they were interviewing me and we were talking about it, they were like, wow, this is so amazing. And you get to hear the response of people who say, you know, that's pretty incredible that you did that. And you had to commute to China to be the CEO of a company. That's pretty insane and, and amazing. Wait, you did? Yes. You commuted to China? I did. I did. I was in China every three weeks for two weeks. For which company? Sea Wonder for three years. Oh my God. Yeah. Our office was based in Shanghai. It was intense, you know, having dinner in the hotel while your six-year-old daughter is having breakfast in New York. And, you know, that talk about sacrifices, like missing weeks at a time of your little one's life. And it was a lot. But I think, you know, again, a different time. Women had to do whatever they had to do in order to get the next step. And, People said to me when I was contemplating different decisions at that particular time, it's just what you have to do. I actually have someone that said to me as a woman to get that president slash CEO title, you just have to take whatever you get and then you can craft your career. But as a woman to become a president or a CEO, it's really difficult. And of course, this was, this was 10 years ago. It's a lot has changed since then. But that's, that's what we did. We did whatever we had to do to get that role. And what was the mom guilt like? <laughs> oh, boy. It was a lot. It was a lot of mom guilt. Um, 
I had mom say to me, like, I'm sorry that you have to travel so much. or I'm sorry that you have to work so much. And I was like, like my really? condolences. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually had people say that to me. I'm, I'm sorry that it looks that way. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm so happy. Like um, traveling is like a vacation in a it way. It is. It yeah. is. It's, it's good. But you know, going that often was, was challenging. For sure. You know, it's a 12 or 13 hour time difference, but the guilt is, is real. And I know you know it as well. Um, what I would say is quality, not quantity. I think. There is a quality around the time spent together with working moms that is different. You know, it's precious. And also my daughter and I made a choice to create mother-daughter moments. So if you follow me on Instagram, you know, we do a yearly mother-daughter trip that other than COVID we've done since she's five or six years old. You know, we got on a plane when she was five and said, we're doing our first mother-daughter trip. She got an ear infection in the SLS in Beverly Hills, and we didn't leave the room for the majority of the trip, but we did it. You <laughs> it still was the did first it. one. You still did it. And so, you know, having those moments are really important, I think. That is so nice to have those memories. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were starting out? There's a lot. There's a lot that I would tell my younger self. Um, I think, you know, I was a risk taker. And at that particular time, people didn't do what I was doing, you know, go from brick and mortar retail to startup technology brands. Today, they do it. Um, people didn't take enormous pay cuts. Like I, at one point, I cut my salary by 50%. Wow. Yeah. To learn something new. And people didn't do things like that. It's very risky. And I think I did it. And I overcame the risk, obviously. But I spent a lot of time stressed about, you know, after making the choice, was it the right decision? What am I going to do? How am I going to get back to that salary? All of that, that kind of mental communication. And I think I would tell myself now to believe in the decisions that you've made and be comfortable with the now. You know, there was a lot of thinking like, what if this happens? What if that happens? And being present and enjoying the ride a little bit more is something that I would tell my younger self because I made the choice, which was risky enough to do, but then always fear about what's going to happen next and what's around the corner. And so, you know, telling people to live in the moment is, it's not easy to live in the moment, but being present is definitely something I've learned over the course of my maturity. You've started this role during the pandemic, right? Yes. So that's not easy. You have in-person services. So overcoming that or pivoting or sort of like making it work, I would imagine that that was an enormous challenge. Obviously, you've been able to do it. But the stress of that, of figuring it out, how did you manage? You know, one thing that I believe is critical in this moment of, of COVID is engagement. You know, how do you connect with someone via Zoom and learning that and having a lot of one-on-one -on -one time? I mean, I started and the business wasn't really open. It was open a little bit. And so I had to build a relationship with my new team via Zoom. And it's not easy to have that, you know, you can't 
touch someone on the arm and say, you know, great job, and no, you know, in a very uh, appropriate way. But obviously, you know, that connection that you can make in person, it's hard to do. But doing it through one-on-one time is something that I made a very conscious decision about when I first got into this role. I thought I was going to do, you know, team meetings. And I saw very quickly on within my first three days of being here, that I was going to have to course correct my entire agenda and go to one-on-one meetings, a half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, a second one, to build a rapport, to get people to understand who I am and what it's going to be like to be a part of this community now with a new CEO, and also crafting a vision you know, it was critical for us to build a short and medium term vision. And how do you do a strategy session with all new people and a new way of working four weeks into the job? Not easy. We actually made the decision. We did an in-person meeting with a small group and we were all scattered at different points around the office with a whiteboard in the middle of us. It was pretty amazing. But um, really tried different techniques to build engagement and a personal relationship, which, you know, another question you and I chatted about was being a CEO and is it lonely? And, you know, I was talking to my team about this not too long ago and said, what's great is I don't feel lonely because I haven't isolated myself as a CEO. I'm so accessible and I love, I love everybody in my company. I do. I, I send them text messages and cupcakes for their birthdays and, you know, kudos every week. I send five people kudos and I don't feel lonely because I have a team of people that are my community and they fuel my motivation and my drive for success. It comes from the success I want my team to feel. And it's so fun. It's so fun to have, you know, people share their personal lives and their personal journeys and things they're happy with, things they're upset about. I get to be a part of that story and it's very motivating and inspiring to me. Well, that was my next question because I feel like you have accomplished so much in your career and you could really just, you know, I don't know, go move to Palm Beach and just have a very chill life. Um, But yet you continue to work your ass off. I do. And that's just, I guess, your nature of just wanting to continually push yourself. Yes. Goes back to the horseback riding, I guess. It does. It does. It goes back to also the desire to learn. There is so much happening in the world of consumer behavior today and technology. And I'm so fortunate to be in a technology-driven company. Um, Everbody is the most unique intersection between brick-and-mortar technology and online experiences. And I feel so fortunate to be a part of crafting and shaping this new generation of consumer purchase behavior. Because our product, even though we're a tech company, we come to life through brick and mortar. 
Our product is our brick and mortar, but we acquire customers through technology. And so for me, it's kind of full circle in everything that I've ever done. I have done brick and mortar. I've done digital only with Glam Squad. And now I get to do a digitally driven brick and mortar business that has online selling. And so perfect is a perfect crescendo to my career. How do you ultimately want to leave your mark? I love that question. I think as a person, the greatest thing that people can say is she was kind. You know, she mentored me. She inspired me. Um, of course, my legacy for my family, my daughter. I always want people to think that she did the best she could for everybody she came in touch with. That will be success for me. I think, you know, having a, a fantastic career is great, but if it doesn't come with making an impact on people, then for me, that would be a lonely uh, mark. But to know that I have made a mark on people would be the greatest um, success story for me personally. So well said. Amy, this was everything I knew it would be, just saying. <laughs> You've had such an impressive career, and I feel so fortunate to know you, and I'm so proud to work with you on this season of Leave Your Mark. And, you know, thank you for supporting me in my journey. Yes, and I'm so proud of you. Thank you. You're an icon, and <laughs> okay, it takes a lot. Definitely not. Definitely you not. are. You are. Don't let that imposter syndrome get you down. <laughs> I think that's just reality. I'm not, but thank you. I appreciate that. You are an inspiration, and I think people who inspire others to do things. Look at what you did. Look at this podcast. Like, look at how you made it happen. Yeah, and that's through your personal drive and determination. And you should sit back and, and say, I, I've done a great thing. Oh, thank because you. Because you have. Thank yeah. you. Well, you know what? I think I would say I've done a great thing because I get to share stories like yours. And people have done such incredible things in their career and the lessons learned. That's what drives me is to just share and pay forward what we have all learned for people that are still figuring it out. That's right. And I will tell you, please, anybody out there, if you find me on LinkedIn, connect and tell me what you need. And I promise I'll give you some time. Oh, that is so gracious. Oh, yes. so nice. Thanks so much for listening to Leave Your Mark, the podcast. If you want more career advice, be sure to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Leave Your Mark. If you're on Instagram, make sure to follow at Leave Your Mark podcast to stay up with the latest episodes. And of course, say hi to me at Elisa Lickdexo. If you're on Twitter, definitely reach out at Aliza Licht. I would love to hear from you. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter or attend a future virtual mentoring event, go to alizalicht.com for more information. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.